Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today, a very special show with one of the five co-founders of Facebook, Andrew McCollum. We're so fortunate to have Andrew on the pod, sharing his incredible journey and his actionable advice for you. Quickly, the courses at Wall Street Oasis that I talk about each and every week that keep this podcast going, they really are incredible. They're the most comprehensive thing out there with thousands of crowdsourced questions and case studies, interview prep, and modeling training. Whether it's banking, PE, hedge funds, or consulting, check them out. I'm sure they will help you. I thought I would talk about why I went to business school and what I got out of it. So quickly, my path, I graduated from undergrad in 2009. Shitty time to be graduating from from anything. Uh, But I was really lucky. I got a job with JP Morgan in their asset management analyst program. They really beefed that program up in 2009, and so I went to New York to do training with 150 other, 149 other hungry people that maybe would have done investment banking that year, but those jobs weren't there. Uh, Did three months of training in New York, actually moved to Detroit for a little bit right after it, and then was able to transfer still within the analyst program out to Los Angeles and uh, and finished out the the three-year analyst program here in LA, as I was finishing it, I was still super focused on getting into investment banking. So I tried to get JP Morgan. They were like, no, that's, that's not how we hire at all. So I said, okay, I'll go look at at other banks. And I was lucky again, Houlihan Loki in their restructuring group had a need. And so I interviewed, went through a super day and, uh, and got the job. And then, so it was a pretty seamless process. All the banks in LA or in Century City. So I moved from one building to the next. I think I took two days off in between and I started another analyst program from day zero again. So first year analyst all over again. I'm super happy that I did it. I got that exact corporate finance, hardworking analytical skill set that I'd worked for, you know, the 20 plus years of my life up until that point to get. But then this funny thing happens. You know, I'd worked for 20 years to get this job and then I get it and I realized I don't I don't love this job so I felt a little lost I didn't know what I wanted to do 
But in Houlihan's restructuring group, I got, I was the analyst on a, one of these deals that was for a media company, THQ. They were a video game developer. So in doing that deal, I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, entertainment, media. This is, I'm in LA. This is a sexy industry. So again, I'm not really following what I'm supposed to be doing in this world. I'm following what other people value and what's sexy. So I thought, oh, I'll go. I'll go do media. So I got a job at a digital media company in LA. We're buying and selling websites, operating them, building apps. And I thought, this is cool. I'll go, I'll go take my investment banking skill set there. It was a super disorganized job. Like a lot of these media companies that run by creative people, not necessarily by business people. So uh, I thought, okay, I'll, this isn't quite using all of my skill, skill sets that I worked really hard to get at Houlihan. I'll go try to get one of these corporate strategy jobs at a film studio, Disney, Fox, Sony. And so I was interviewing for all of them. I didn't get any of those jobs. Uh, so I was a little defeated again. I thought, okay, maybe I'll go to business school, do that for two years, come out, boom, I'll get one of these strategy jobs. And I was still, this was, this was still me not really realizing what I wanted to do, what I was supposed to be doing in, in the world. I was trying to do exactly what everyone else that I worked with in investment banking was doing was these private equity hedge fund jobs, which I ruled out. I wasn't going to get one of those. I tried, believe me. Uh, and then still trying to chase these strategy jobs. So fine. I went to business school and in my first year, the second quarter, UCLA is on the quarter system. I took this leadership class. And in that class, the professor had us write down times when we felt like we were being our most authentic self. And he defined that as firing on all cylinders, feeling like you're using all of your facilities, really just authentic. So I wrote down some times, and uh, as I'm looking at that list afterwards, every single one was I was doing something entrepreneurial. I was in my early days growing up, I was that lemonade stand kid, starting car washes, selling junk door to door. And that's when I felt like my authentic self. So it was like light bulb moment, boom. Why am I chasing all these prestigious jobs still? I need to be an entrepreneur. This is, this is what I'm meant to do. So in between years one and two of business school, I had an internship at Warner Brothers in their venture capital fund. I thought, oh, this will be a good mix of, of my two worlds. I'm the media and it's kind of startup-y. It turned out that that wasn't the case at all. It was just a huge, slow-moving company. But I came back to school, second year, intern at another digital media company, I know, guys, it took me forever to realize that forget media, forget private equity, forget corp dev at a studio, forget venture capital. These are all jobs that are great for other people. I finally realized not great for me. Go hustle. That's what I'm good at. That's what I'm meant to be doing. So I joined a startup. I'm the hustling biz dev guy, and I'm good at it. I'm really fulfilled now. Along with growing this podcast and a few other little side businesses, my brain, it's, it's firing. It's firing on all the cylinders, and, and, and it feels good. Uh, so back to business school. The quickest return on your investment if you go to business school and getting your MBA is to come from some random background, go to school, get on the big company recruiting train, punch your ticket, and boom, you get a job at Amazon or in consulting or banking. You go from making less than 100000 a year to 200000 a year. Fast, very quick return for you. I went from making pretty good money, six figures at that digital media company, to now making no money or very little. But 
feeling like I'm doing what I was put on earth to be doing, or at least closer to it. I'll eventually be the captain of the ship. Right now I'm the I'm a, I'm a mate, or uh, maybe a first mate. Uh, so the, the reason I'm talking about this is because I saw a post from Sam Says 1989 talking about going into consulting after business school with the end goal of getting into a corporate job. Here's my two cents on that, and then we'll be done. Uh, that path, Sam Says 1989, uh, requires spending five years at a bank or a consulting firm, then making a jump to a strategy role. You'll come in a few years ahead of someone that took that job at the strategy role at that company straight out of business school, but more on that in just a second here. Uh, So fine, you do five years, you're a seasoned VP at a bank, and you make the jump to some company, and you're decently high up in their strategy group, which reports to the CEO, you've got good access there, and now you have to spend some time in that strategy group before you can get tapped to go run a division. That's the path. Sam says, 1989, that he's concerned with not having any P&L responsibility up until this point. That's true. That's a problem. That's why there's two steps in this transition. The first from advisory firm, you know, banking or consulting, to the company. Then from the strategy group of the company to a division. Then from the division head to the CEO. That path is proven. It works. If you go to the company right out of school, it can also work. You if you spend some time in banking or consulting first, you know, look at, look at, uh, at Uber's new CEO. I don't know which path is better, going to advisory and then company or just going straight to the company uh, out of school. I can tell you that going to investment banking or consulting, spending five years there, that, that's a long time away. Like looking five years in the future, it's good to have a plan like that, but a lot of things can happen. If the strategy group of a company you're interested in is recruiting at your school, Taking that job right away might not be a bad idea, but spending time at a great advisory firm, while painful, can be good for your career too. I mean, it can be great for your career. Okay, that's it for me. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're the CEO of Philo now. We'll get into what exactly that is. You're an advisor, a startup guy, really an angel investor. Um, so I'd love to get into your background, who Andrew is, how you got to where you are. Let's you know, start at the beginning. Did you always think you were going to be an uh, entrepreneurial kind of person? Um, well, I think it all started when uh, I started getting into computers, which I, I did from a pretty young age. I started programming uh, in second grade when I you know, our family computer, we just found that it had QBasic installed, like every, like has been the case on every Microsoft operating system since forever, since it was their first product as a company. Um, and me and my brother just started playing around and making our own games and, and just doing, you know, funny little projects. And I think at that point, um, you know, I decided that I really thought I wanted to make games for a living. I wanted to make, uh, you know, video games. And I even did do that uh, after high school. I started interning at Electronic Arts. And, and so I had, was sort of pretty far down that path. Uh, but then, you know, as I met so, you know, some of the other folks at Harvard who I ended up working on Facebook with, pretty quickly realized that, and, and also just my experience, you know, in the game games industry, realizing that, you know, you put a, a ton of work working six, seven days a week for 10, 12, 14 hours a day, 
um, is really grueling and that there are these cool opportunities to do what I loved about games, which is the ability to, to create things, to create worlds, to create products. Um, you know, you could do it in other areas as well. You could do it, you know, with consumer products and other, um, you know, other areas of, of technology that were as exciting to me and had, you know, really other interesting opportunities beyond just making games. Right. Okay. So you have this passion for developing games. You go to Harvard. What did you study there? I was a computer science major. Okay. And was the plan go to Harvard and then come out and like keep working for EA or, or like what were you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I had already, like I said, I'd already started interning there. So, you know, I, I eventually, I was in the middle of my third internship there. So I think if I kept going down that path, um, that would have been a very obvious way to go. And, you know, I could have, I could have finished up at Harvard and, you know, taken a job at EA or, or another game company. And, and I think that would have been a totally reasonable alternate path for my life to have taken. Right. Okay. But as we kind of were talking about before we hit record here, that, life doesn't always fall into place of how you think it's going to work sometimes for incredible opportunities, sometimes for stuff that's kind of a derailing thing, but yours was an incredible one. So you linked up, um, and you became one of the co-founders of Facebook. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think I had, uh, you know, I grew up in, in Idaho in a ski resort in the mountains, uh, called, Sun Valley, and it's a really small town. It's like three thousand people. Um, and, and when I went to Harvard, I think that I came in kind of lacking some of the plan that a lot of the other students there had. Where you know there are a lot of people who I'm going to study economics. I'm going to go ships on Wall Street, and then I'm going to be an eye banker when I graduate. And like, I didn't even know what iBanking was like the, for probably the first two years I was at Harvard, I thought that iBanking had something to do with the internet. Um, like I didn't even like know what the term meant. So there was clearly, I really felt like there must've been some meeting, uh, that everybody else had that I like, you know, missed out on where they all talked about how you're supposed to like set up this career trajectory. And I, I never really felt that way. Um, and I think it was to my benefit. Uh, it's I've always kind of taken a fairly uh, kind of open view of things where, you know, you just kind of want to see what situations and opportunities come to you and and keep yourself keep yourself open minded enough to realize, you know, when even if something doesn't align with the plan that you have, if it seems like it's going to be interesting or you're going to be able to kind of grow from it or learn from it, that it's uh, worth pursuing. And I think that's really what happened with Facebook is that, you know, it was sort of by accident that I uh, met Mark and Dustin, you know, Mark and I took uh, five out of our eight classes together our sophomore year at Harvard. And so we were spending a lot of time together and we were just talking about interesting projects, things that we wanted to work on that we thought would be cool. Um, and it wasn't even about, hey, let's form a company or, you know, this is like a, a, a life plan or something that will necessarily, you know, uh, do after school is, is over or that will make us money. It was more just like, Hey, these are interesting things, um, that, that we're thinking about and that we could build and let's kind of just see 
what comes out of that. And that was really kind of how I got involved with Facebook. That's really how um, I ended up taking time off to work on Facebook. You know, when we moved out to California to continue developing the site, um, and, and it became clear that uh, things were going well, uh, I, I quit my internship at EA because I said, hey, look, like this project is a lot more interesting and um, it, it's starting to show some, you know, early traction and I'm not really enjoying working on games all that much. You know, I, that that summer I was kind of stuck doing some something that wasn't that exciting. And so I just sort of went in it and I and I quit. And in fact, when I did that, uh, you know, the the sort of original person who brought me on to EA kind of said to me, like, you know, you're really burning a bridge here. Like, you know, you should know that if you leave, like, don't ever come back and ask for a job here. And, you know, it was, I guess, you know, at the time I should have looked at that and said, wow, like, you know, making games is what I've thought I wanted to do for my entire life. So, uh, you know, walking away from it maybe should have been something, you know, should have maybe seemed like a weightier decision. But to me, it was really obvious, which was like, wow, you know, Facebook is really interesting. It's uh, a project that's starting to get traction and I'm going to learn a lot from it. And, you know, the game, working on games is not like, is turning out to be not as exciting and, and you know, as uh, the, the way I thought it would be. So, like, you know, it's not really a cost to, to, to change the plan. And, and that's really also how I looked at taking time off from Harvard is like, look, even if this uh, project goes completely belly up it it just fails and and, um you know flames out like i'll have learned a a lot by by working on it and you know harvard has a nice policy where you can take time off and you can always go back and there um you don't even have to you know reapply or anything to 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 go back so it seemed like a really a relatively small uh cost to just sort of see what happened for a year working on Facebook. And obviously um, it turned out to, to, to be really successful. Uh, but I think even if it hadn't have been, it would have been the right decision to make. Right. Andrew, I re- that story resonates a lot with me. I grew up in a small ski town too. I grew up in Park City and I was an entrepreneurial kid growing up. I was selling stuff door to door. I was starting little businesses. And then I went to school and I had no clue what investment banking was either, but I got enamored with it. And I dropped all of my open-mindedness and like really just set a goal on getting into that. And I did it. And it's a good skill set, but it kind of derailed me from who I think I am and who I think I was meant to be. I think I'm meant to be an entrepreneur. And it took me a bunch of years to kind of get back to, and I had to go to business school to kind of figure out what I'm supposed to be doing, and, and now I'm finally back on back on that path. And I'm not going to say that investment banking was bad. It was a, it was a great skill set. But I'm just really liking your open-mindedness. And I think it's something that's easier to have, especially when you're young. But as you start to get older and, like, say you'd already graduated from college and you were working at EA and that was your first job, maybe it would have been tougher to do, but maybe you still would have been able to walk into the, the office and say, I'm out of here. I'm following my passion or something that's more interesting uh, yeah, I think there's a number of things that um, are, are worth kind of adding to that picture. And one is like, yeah, it is about, you know, you have to have the flexibility to be able to take those opportunities. Like I was incredibly lucky that, um, you know, my family could like, you know, I, I guess Harvard, you know, Harvard is is sort of unique in that they 
will make it so anyone can afford to go there, you know, no matter kind of how well off your family is. But, you know, there could have been situations where, you know, if I had a lot of student debt or, um, you know, the nice thing about studying computer science is like, you know, I I lived fairly modestly and having an internship at at EA was like a a pretty, you know, well-paying job for like a kid who lives in college who doesn't have any expenses. So I didn't really have kind of financial constraints on the decisions I was making. Um, I, I, I knew that if, you know, things didn't work out that I would like land on my feet and my family, you know, could support me if I needed them to. So, um, you know, I had a lot of flexibility in being able to choose what I wanted to do without having to really consider, um, these, you know, these things that, these kind of uh, other concerns that might have made it a lot more difficult. So I do think that is a big factor. And I definitely appreciate a lot that it was, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to have the ability to sort of make those choices without having to sort of face really tough uh, consequences financially or otherwise. And I think the other, but, and I think the other important um, element to this is like, there is a balance where, um, to do anything that's worth doing that is going to, you know, have an impact on the world or be meaningful, it takes a lot of commitment. You know, you have to set a goal and work really hard and stick to it through a lot of ups and downs. And so, you know, you have to balance knowing when, you know, to sort of tough it out and stick with something because, you know, you're just it just is going to take like hard work to kind of break through to what you really are trying to achieve versus, you know, kind of changing your plan and doing something else that, you know, seems more exciting or interesting. And that's, there's no like cut and dry answer to when, you know, it's right to kind of stick it out or to, to change what you're doing. I've always just kind of looked at the, the metric of like, is this making me happy? Am I like, you know, enjoying what I'm doing? And, Generally, if I'm not happy, then I do something else. Uh, but I think like it's, it's you know there are times when it's not necessarily straightforward whether or not you should stick you know keep at what you're doing or not. Yeah, I mean that's one of life's hard decisions is what I'm doing the correct thing. I've always looked at it the way that you know Warren Buffett says you should take the job where you learn the most, not necessarily the one that pays you the most. And you know, learning and happiness for me are closely aligned. Um, but I think you have to kind of look inward and see what is it that that makes you happy. And if it's having a prestigious job working at Goldman Sachs that other people put a lot of value on, that can be good for you too. But if it's if it's not that, then you have to that soul searching piece, which is what I did in business school. Uh, that's that can be difficult. Yeah, I think it's um, you know, yeah, it does really come down to what's fulfilling to you. And this is something I, it's taken me a long time to learn, but, um, was I think really eye opening when I, you know, I think that it's easy to kind of assume there's two traps you can fall into. First, you can fall into the trap that other people think the way that you do. This is something that I'm constantly surprised by is that for me, um, I'm really motivated by working on things that can have a big impact on people's lives. 
But there's plenty of other people who are motivated just by, you know, they want to make a lot of money or they want to be in a sort of position of power or they want to, um, you know, be in the public spotlight. They want to be sort of have celebrity or attention or they want to build, you know, certain kinds of relationships with other people. Um, and I've come to realize, like, there's nothing wrong with any of those other motivations. And I think, like, it, it, you know, other people make really different decisions than I do based on pursuing the things that fulfill them and make them happy. It just happens to be that, like, you know, unless I'm working on something that I think ha- can have a big impact on the world, that I'm not particularly happy, that that's just the thing that is going to make me feel fulfilled. So I think that that's really important to try to, like, figure out is what is that thing for you and how is it different from what other people want? And that explains a lot why, you know, you can either be, you know, you can be doing something that everybody else thinks you sh- is the right thing for you and, and should be making you happy, but be completely miserable um, or or vice versa. And being kind of comfortable with that and, and understanding it is, I think, really critical. And, and And the flip side of that is that you can kind of fall into this trap where you are doing things because you think it's what you're supposed to be doing, because it's, you know, you see uh, it as a path that others have taken or that, you know, you know, people in your life are saying it's what you should be doing, whether your parents are saying you need to get a certain kind of career or, or like the the Harvard example, everybody else is going to Wall Street to be investment bankers. And so you're like, well, maybe I'm supposed to be doing that too. Um, it's easy to fall into those traps. And it, you know, there, there's no shortcut to that. I think it just takes, um, you know, age and maturity to realize that you can be comfortable with, you know, the things that you, that you want and that you will make you feel fulfilled are the right things. And you don't have to sort of care necessarily what other people tell you or what, you know, uh, the rest of the world thinks if you're, you know, if you're confident in that, you can kind of forge whatever path you want. Um, but it takes time to kind of get to that. I think it, it's hard, it's a hard thing to do to sort of uh, ignore whatever what you know all the examples around you and what everybody's telling you to sort of find the thing that is really going to make you happy. Yeah, Andrew, that's an enlightened mindset to say the least. So that's, I mean, it's pretty incredible that you were able to tap into a lot of those attributes at a super young age without having that experience and that maturity. But okay, so you take some time off, you work on Facebook, that goes pretty well. Then what? Yeah, so uh, there is another really interesting decision, which is uh, when I took time off and I, I was at Facebook, um, like after about a year, you know, it, it started getting up to the deadline where I had to tell Harvard whether I was going to come back or not. And that was another uh, tough decision because Facebook at that point was doing really well. Um, I was really confident that it wasn't just going to flame out, that it was really going to go on to be a, an interesting an important thing. I, you know, I don't think I, you know, none of us would be, have been so arrogant as to say it would turn into what it's turned into today to today. But I think it was clear that there was a lot of potential uh, that was, you know, unrealized at that point and that it was going to sort of, you know, be a success. And so leaving was in some ways also, a, 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 you know, leaving Facebook and going back to school, which is what I ultimately did was, you know, also a tough decision, but you know, that one at the, at the time, I didn't, you know, I kind of thought through it and I didn't really agonize over it much and I, and I never really second guessed it, which is that 
you know, I looked at it, I said, Hey, um, I'm, I, I have learned a lot from this. I've really enjoyed, um, I've really enjoyed doing this and I think that it's been really fun and, and, and it's, and it's cool to, to have worked on this thing. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Facebook wasn't going to be my vision. Facebook is and has always been Mark Mark's vision. Um, and that was clearly going to be the case, um, you know, on into the future. And so I knew that eventually I was going to work on something where really I could own the vision behind it. I knew that I was going to, I was never going to be happy, just no matter how kind of high up in the pecking order I was, I was never going to be happy kind of just staying at Facebook forever. So I kind of looked at it and I said, look, if I'm, if I'm going to leave and do something else, um, and, and finishing school was important to me. I, I, I knew that if I didn't go back that year, that I was probably never going to go back. And I didn't want to kind of, I thought that, that having that experience um, was something I wanted. It, it was a pretty easy choice to make to say, okay, you know, now's the time to go back and, and finish school. And then, you know, I'll, I'll find something else that I can work on where I can really own the vision by it. And so, uh, but it was interesting sort of what, what, you know, one of the funny things about that episode uh, overall was that when I made the decision to leave Harvard and, and work on Facebook, I sort of, I, I, I called up my parents and I said, Hey, you know, I think I'm going to take time off of Harvard. I, I'm, I'm going to work on this, this, this Facebook thing. Um, you know, no matter what happens, I think I'm going to learn a lot from it and it's going to be a good experience. Uh, and I can always go back. And, and my parents were like, well, you know, are you sure this is really what you want to do? Are you sure this is, that you really want to leave Harvard? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I, I definitely think it's right. And they're like, well, okay, you know, we support you. And, you know, my parents have always been very supportive of, you know, whatever uh, path I've chosen to take with my life, which is, which is nice. Um, but when, you know, when I decided to go back, I also called up my parents and I said, Hey, you know, uh, Facebook's been really great. It's doing really well. I think it's going to be really successful, but you know, I've decided Harvard, you know, it was like the conversation had totally flipped where, um, it was almost like they were, I mean, they weren't really trying to talk me out of going back to school, but it was definitely, um, much more like the default was to not do it than to do it. And so, uh, it was funny how, how it had changed. Uh, that is funny. Okay, so you've kind of got your parents buy-in to go do something, which is which is always nice. And then you go, you go do it, and you and you leave school, which is again a difficult decision. Um, but then, yeah, you're right. Ta- talking about this this choice of leaving a company that you're one of the first people there. There's great things happening, and again, that awareness that you had that says this isn't my vision. I need to do something where this is my vision. That wherewithal to leave and go find something and the confidence to do that. That's, that's pretty remarkable, Andrew. Yeah. I think it gets back to something, um, that I've always believed, which is that, you know, if you're, if you're, a, a, a you know, a reasonably capable person and you are fairly confident in, you know, who you are and what you want, and you're willing to kind of, to work hard when it's necessary, that, you're going to be kind of fine in a lot of situations that, you know, I never felt like, you know, Facebook was going to be the last interesting opportunity I ever had. I I never felt like, um, you know, I've I've always sort of had the, had the kind of philosophy that things have a way of working themselves out, even when you're in situations that seem pretty, pretty dire. Um, 
you know, if, if you just kind of stick to what you know and you kind of work your way through it, things generally tend to work out okay. So, you know, if you kind of have that that mindset, then it, it takes a lot of the kind of high stakes uh, pressure out of a lot of these decisions where you say, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, maybe Facebook is going to go on to be a big success. Maybe if I uh, stayed at this company, I would like, you know, have more money or, uh, or, or something like that. But like, life's probably going to be fine either way. I'm going to figure it out and, and, and do all right. And I think that if the more you kind of have that attitude, it kind of lets you focus on what is actually going to really make you happy and what's going to ultimately um, get you to the place where you should be and where you're, where you want to be rather than kind of getting tied up, you know, thinking that you have to stick to doing things that ultimately are not helping you to, to be happy or be fulfilled or learn uh, because you don't really see yourself as having a choice. Um, I just kind of felt like you almost always land on your feet one way or another, if you just kind of keep your wits about you and, and work hard, are, are willing to work hard. Yeah, Andrew, I subscribe to that um, to that methodology, and I think that right. If you're smart, hardworking, willing to do what it takes, and you then things will generally work out for you. That's been one of the main takeaways from this podcast. So fine, you leave Facebook, you're chasing being the captain of the ship, finding your own vision. Is that what you have now? Yeah, I took a bunch. There was a big period after that uh, of kind of a bunch of different things. Um, after I left Facebook, you know, I went back and finished school. Uh, I took some time off to go traveling, which I'd always wanted to do. Um, I actually went to four, over 40 countries in a year. So it was like kind of a whirlwind, uh, whirlwind trip. And, you know, if, if there was ever proof of the idea that, you know, if you just kind of um, are smart and, and uh, take stock of your situation and figure out, what you want to do that things will turn out fine. You know, a year of traveling where basically every week I was in a different country and I, I wasn't really planning ahead that much. So I was generally just flying into places and then like figuring out, well, um, you know, where am I going to sleep? Like, how am I going to like get to where I need to be? How do I like communicate with people? You know, you're just kind of having to figure everything out from zero, you know, repeatedly week after week, um, just build up, you know, just the basics of survival, um, over and over again. Uh, it, it really teach like ha- hammers that point home. Like, you know, I literally flew into dozens of countries where I had no idea what I was going to do when I got there and everything just kind of turned out fine. Um, I never like was in a very, like any situation I thought was all that dangerous. I never really had anything stolen. I never, um, you know, I never really had anything go seriously wrong because I just kind of like figured out how to, you know, navigate whatever the situation was. Um, so I did that. Uh, I did a bunch of other things. You know, I got a, I went back and got a master's degree in education, which is another thing that I've always been really fascinated by. I got married. I, so I, I explored a bunch. And, and what I decided was um, somewhere in the middle of that, Facebook started to be really successful. And I kind of made this decision where I said, look, um, I don't have to do anything. I I was in this really fortunate position where it's like, I don't have to do anything for money ever again. Um, I probably am going to have more money than I would ever want to spend in a lifetime. So um, 
it, it kind of frees me up, freed me up to sort of say, I can just think about like working on whatever is really going to, uh, you know, be interesting and fulfilling to me, which was this idea that, you know, I really only want to work on things that can have a big, potentially have a big impact on the world. So I started kind of casting about trying to figure out what that was going to be. Um, and in the meantime, I started doing angel investing and advising just to kind of stay connected to things that were going on in, in the tech world. Um, and plus, I really liked supporting projects uh, that I thought were cool, that I wanted to exist in the world. You know, I never really looked at angel investing as a, a monetary thing. I really looked at it as, hey, um, here's this cool thing that I that I think should exist and how can I help support it to, to make it that happen? Um, but it was a really good way to stay connected to a bunch of different ideas and, and things that were, were, were going on. And one of the companies that I met very early on in that process was the company that uh, became Philo, where I am the CEO now. Uh, and I just got really attached to the, to the idea. Philo is trying to reinvent television. We're trying to create... Um, uh, we we deliver TV over the internet. We're basically trying to create something like Spotify for TV. And that idea of uh, of building a, a new way to watch TV was really exciting to me because uh, you know TV is like the most compelling consumer product that humans have ever created. The average person spends between four and five hours a day watching TV, and yet the the product experience is really awful. You know, people um, hate TV companies almost as much as they hate cell phone companies. Um, except of course, when they're the same company and then you hate it like twice as much. Um, but you know, TV really, part of the reason for that is that TV really hasn't evolved much, uh, in the, in the sort of 50 years since it become, it's become widespread. And so the opportunity to really like come to that from a new perspective and say, how could you, um, reimagine TV for the digital age was something that I was really fascinated by. And I, you know, got super engaged super engaged with. Um, and so, uh, I eventually, I kept coming back to how, how interesting and, and, and potentially impactful, uh, the idea was to the point where I was like, well, if I really believe so strongly in this, and this is like the, the biggest and most interesting idea I've seen since, since Facebook, um, I should just join full time, which is what I eventually did. You know, I probably would have done it a lot sooner if I hadn't been really attached to this idea that whatever I did next was going to be a company I started myself. Um, that was a good lesson in not getting too fixated on your own idea about how things are going to go. Uh, I realized eventually that it didn't matter that I didn't actually incorporate the company myself. Uh, that was sort of uh, you know, a relatively unimportant detail that if everything else about it made sense, and I really felt like I had the skills um, and the the background to to help Philo be successful, and I was really fascinated by the potential of it. That that was a lot more important than whether or not you know I filed the paperwork for with the state of Delaware. Right, and uh, Andrew, that story about traveling to forty countries and having no plan. I mean, hearing you go through that is kind of anxiety creating just listening to you but you're right not getting attached and just operating on the go making things happen that's the perfect skill set mindset to to have and like the, to build confidence that you can just figure things out get things done so i love that uh i love the idea of the ott tv package you're right um 
TV hasn't really changed that much. There's 100 million people in America subscribing to it. They're watching it so much. It's a not that great of experience. We're paying for all these channels we don't really want. Uh, so that's super cool. Congratulations on that. Congratulations on coming to the mindset that you don't have to be the one incorporating it. Super cool how, how flexible you've been throughout your career. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, in some ways it hasn't always served me well. Uh, although, I, I don't know, I think there's, you know, you can always second guess and look back on things and say you could have done things differently. I mean, it did take me um, like eight years from when I left Facebook to when I joined Philo as the CEO. And so that was a long period of kind of soul searching and looking around for what I really wanted to do full time. I mean, you could argue that, you know, getting a master's in education was like a big commitment, but like really something that I was pouring all my energy into, it really was like this sort of eight year gap between leaving Facebook and joining Philo. So um, that was, that's a long time to spend searching for a project. And, you know, you could argue that if I was not quite as open-minded and flexible and kind of like just waiting for something that really felt totally right, that I would have made that decision sooner. And, you know, maybe uh, I would have found something that I was slightly less confident about, but I would have found it a lot quicker. Um, so you can always kind of look at it, the, the flip side of it, but ultimately I don't really regret the decision I made. And again, you know, I had the luxury of time to really wait to find a project that really uh, I was passionate about. Yeah, and Andrew, you earned that luxury for yourself. So that's super cool. Okay, so this was... Yeah, I always, uh, you know, I think that there's lots of ways of looking at the experience with Facebook. And I think that, um, you know, one question a lot of people ask is like, how, you know, what the factor of luck was, uh, you know, in all of that. And I think that it, it, it is interesting. Like on one hand, you have to sort of, you definitely have to admit that there was a big element of luck in just sort of choosing the right thing at the right time. And there are probably, you know, a number of decisions that could have gone, could have gone either way and, and they just happened to go the right way at, at critical times. Um, but I do think like in some ways, you know, I am a subscriber to the idea that, you know, there, there isn't really anything such thing as luck that it's sort of like you have to put yourself in a position where you can make the right decisions and uh, be open-minded enough to realize them and, and, and not be too afraid to sort of like choose things even when they're hard. And, and that, it, you know, ultimately is what, you know, allows you to be lucky uh, in, in most cases, that's not to say that there isn't an element of sort of, um, you know, again, being in the right place at the right time and, and things working out well when they could have gone another way. You're not in complete control of everything. Um, and certainly examples like Facebook are extreme outliers where you can do everything right. And, uh, you know, um, you know, 999 times out of a thousand, it's not going to turn out the way Facebook has. Like it, there's a lot of things that re the stars really aligned there, but I don't think that's the same thing as sort of, uh, as like, um, like going to Vegas and, and just putting, you know, putting it all on, you know, red, you know, putting it all on like one number on the roulette wheel or something. It's a, it's a very different kind of luck, uh, than that. Um, you know, in that everything we did at Facebook, 
was very deliberate. It happened to turn out very well, but it wasn't like we were just sort of choosing randomly or um, that we, we kind of just woke up and we're like, wow, um, you know, this happened and, and it was totally unexpected. Like we, we, you know, we were trying to do things because we felt like they were the right decisions and it turned out that they were um, in a lot of cases. Um, so that's always been an interesting thing for me to think about. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I really necessarily earned all of my success. And in, 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 I think you always have to admit that like, there's an element to your success that is not earned that is due to, again, like, you know, accidents of the universe and, um, you know, circumstances that you had no control over helping you to succeed. So, you know, I don't necessarily think that if you look at the, uh, the actual work that I did, that, it, you know, the compensation for it, like totally makes sense in a, in a rational way. Um, but, you know, I do think that I was very fortunate to have been a part of it. And the way I tend to look at it is not so much like, um, I earned this and so I can, you know, I can do whatever I want. Uh, I look at it as like, I was in this very fortunate circumstance and I kind of have a responsibility uh, to take the opportunity I have and work on things that can have a big impact to the world. I almost feel like if I had been very successful at Facebook, I just turned around and worked on another company just to make more money even or, or worked on something that I felt like wasn't necessarily um, – good for the world or wasn't necessarily going to actually really have much impact on people's lives, then that would kind of be squandering the, the opportunity I had and the responsibility that I had to sort of like try to um, work on things that could be bigger than that. Sure. And Andrew, you kind of beat me to my last question. It's always advice, advice for someone starting off their career with, as you said, creating your own luck and the role of, you know, the way that the universe kind of has its plan and, and, and fate. But uh, is there anything else, you know, that you can leave listeners with? Um, someone who's graduating from school, not quite sure what they want to do, hardworking, you know, wants to figure it out, but just hasn't quite done that yet. What would you tell a person like that? Yeah, um, I think that it's sort of, you know, I think I've said a lot of the advice I would give, which is like, you know, don't be too worried about taking risks, especially when you're young, like that a lot of times things have a way of working themselves out uh, that, you know, you shouldn't be, you definitely shouldn't be too attached about to the idea of doing things just because it's the way everybody else says that you should do it. Or, you know, you feel like every, you know, it's um, what everybody else is doing that, that kind of thinking very rarely, um, is, a, is the best way to kind of find what's going to make you happy. Um, so I think all that's kind of the core of, of, of the advice I would give. Um, I do think a, a good heuristic in, in life is when you're looking at the choices you have, if you, um, if you choose the harder thing, a lot of times that can be the right decision. It, that's, there, it's, it's an easy trap to fall into to choose um, what seems like it's you know, there's a lot of opportunities to cut corners in life. Um, and sometimes it's the right thing to do, but you have to make sure that you're not uh, choosing to cut corners just because you don't want to do the hard thing. You just are like, um, 
you know, being lazy or um, you just think that it's going to, you know, you just think it'll be easier to, to not do it. Um, so it's always good to sort of check yourself and when you're making a decision, say, am I just doing this because it's easier and then kind of reevaluate. Um, so I think that's also quite important. Um, but yeah, I think that ultimately, uh, you know, my experience of the world is that it's better to kind of take risks and to do, uh, the things that you, uh, think that, you know, that you want to do that you think would make you happy, even if there's risk associated with it, or you think that like, it's going to take you off your career path or your plan for life, or, um, you know, you're going to not make as much money or whatever. I, I just generally think that, um, you end up happier in the end, or at least I do. Um, so, uh, I, but it's, it's not for everybody. There are some people who just, um, you know, aren't necessarily going to be happy by making those decisions. And that's important too, is to realize, um, you know, you can like the, there is being an entrepreneur, starting your company. When, when we were, when we were at Harvard, when, when we were starting Facebook, um, no one was starting companies. I mean, there, I mean, no one was doing computer science at Harvard period, but all the people who were, we're thinking about going and working for Microsoft and Google. I don't even, we, you know, when we created Facebook, we didn't even call it a startup or a company. We called it a project because I don't even know that I really heard the word um, startup like at, at, at Harvard. I wasn't even sure. I don't even know if I, we even knew that, you know, creating a startup was a thing that you could do. That's how foreign a concept it was. Um but obviously now that's very different. Um, you know, doing a startup is now like, you know, almost in some way can be as a cliche in some ways as being an investment banker today. So you have to make sure that like you're actually doing it because that's what you want to do, that you're not, even though it seems like the sort of, um, you know, iconoclastic option, the sort of off, off the beaten track way, you have to kind of ask yourself, am I doing this because it's really what's going to make me happy or am I doing it because, you know, everyone is starting startups these days. And so I'm going to go start one too. Like if that's your mindset, then um, you're probably in for a rude awakening. I think, you know, there's a lot of people who, um, and, and I think like you often meet people who are like, they decide first they want to start a startup and then they kind of go casting around for the idea of what they want to do. And, and like, that's an example of getting it, in my opinion, completely backwards. Like, um, you know, you shouldn't necessarily set out for this to be your plan. You should find something that you're really passionate about and then figure out the, the decide that this is the structure to make it a reality. Um, but doing it in the reverse way is probably like, um, you know, not going to lead you to a good place. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur for entrepreneur's sake is pretty difficult. I don't think that's the, that's the correct path, but Andrew, this was really, really fun talking with you. Your conversation was really insightful. I just can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I always like talking about this stuff. It was fun, uh, fun being on. So uh, hopefully people listening will get something out of it as well. Uh, I'm sure they will. All right. Talk to you soon, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening today. Let me know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. I would really appreciate it. Thank you.